Morning. Welcome to another episode of CCT Live, Cape Cod Times Live Facebook news broadcast brought to you every Thursday at 9 a.m. I'm news editor Patrick Cassidy and I'm joined today by reporter Doug Frazier. Doug covers the towns of Harwich, Chatham, fisheries, other environmental stories, uh, probably most relevant for what we're talking about today, uh, sharks. Um, we'll talk uh, a lot about sharks today, including the most significant movement at the state level so far from a funding uh, for safety efforts for swimmers and other people who use the water here on Cape Cod in light of the burgeoning great white shark population here. Uh, we'll also talk about an emergency evacuation drill by the Woods Hole, uh, Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket Steamship Authority at their repair facility in Fairhaven that you attended, Doug. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk about the latest on legislation meant to save the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe's uh, land and casino hopes, as well as a posthumous honor for Yarmouth Police Sergeant Sean Cannon coming up on a year uh, since his uh, death uh, in a shooting in Marston's Mills. We'll then take a quick look ahead at a hearing coming up on coyotes. Uh, that's actually happening tonight, uh, and we'll be uh, covering that uh, probably in tomorrow's paper. Um, that, that's always a topic of interest here on the Cape. You can take a look back at our past episodes. Check us out on all our social media accounts. Doug's Twitter account, very active, Facebook, uh, Instagram, all, all that sort of stuff. Doug, this uh, Steamship Authority uh, ferry escape evacuation drill uh, was in Fairhaven on, on Tuesday, I believe. Was it Or Monday, actually. Is Monday, it was. yeah. Um, you were there. What 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 was this about, and what'd you what'd you see? So they uh, they run through this drill once a year. Um, they rotate between the uh, vessels that they uh, have. In this case, it or the larger vessels have a uh, mass evacuation system that deploys very quickly. It's um, uh, basically the side door on a uh, on on one of the larger ferries. Uh, if it was a real emergency, would sort of. Uh, not blow off, but get detached and fall into the water and sink. That was and interesting. They give up, give up on that door for the time being. It just pops off and falls into the ocean. Well, well as, as one crewman said, you know, like that's the least of our concerns, retrieving the door. If you're trying uh, to get off the vessel, something's yeah, gone terribly yeah, wrong. Terribly wrong, right? Well, so they they basically um, have a, a system that's built by uh, Life Raft, uh, Life Rafts Australia, and that is uh, used on about. 360 vessels uh, worldwide, and uh, it is um, basically a set of uh, carbon dioxide tanks that uh, that send pressurized gas into this uh, tubing, vinyl tubing. It looks like what you'd see in a fun park, for instance, a inflatable park, inflatable fun park, and it it uh, it creates a slide that's a covered slide that goes down to a raft that can hold 128 people. In this case, it's an open raft. It's not the one that you might think of as being having a kind of tent for more of an open ocean thing this is to get a lot of a lot of people off the vessel quickly they go down the slide and then uh, in this particular system they have canisters they're kind of familiar to most people who travel on on these vessels they're canisters that look a little like depth charges they drop into the water the crew is uh, trained uh, to uh, uh, pull this uh, canister around to the raft that's at the base of the slide and then they open it up and it opens up to very quickly again co2 charge opens up really quickly and um, the people who are on the raft at the base of the slide transfer to that uh, other raft and there's you know four sometimes six uh, of these additional uh, canisters uh, on vessels and they take the entire population of the vessel and crew and everything off in less than well, 30 minutes, they're supposed to be able to uh, discharge the whole boat. 
and as we know, things can happen pretty fast at sea, especially in rough weather. But the the, the big raft can take about 128 people. But as you said, these vessels have up to maybe 400 people if they're full up. So these extra rafts that are deployed are meant to take those extra people who yeah. are on the I think boat. It's more than 400. I think there's like 600 on some of them, I believe. Yeah. So so again, uh, something that they train on. This wasn't necessarily unusual that they were training with it. Um, this this the vessel this was on was the. Uh, the Nantucket. The Nantucket. And yep. it's also on the Eagle Island home in Martha's Vineyard and, right. and Nantucket, as you said. Right. And then some of the other vessels have some other systems on board. Um, but as you say, this looks like kind of a fun park type raft, but it's sturdier than that. They said this is something that can withstand some ten significant. Ten-foot seas, you know, I mean, Nantucket sounds more sheltered than the open Atlantic. So ten-foot seas, and I think it was almost 50 mile an hour. Yeah, I wouldn't, uh, wanna, I wouldn't want to be on anything in 50 mile an hour winds out on the Nantucket Sound, but uh, I guess right. I mean, usually they they're canceling ferries, but the, you know they have to. I think they've been tested actually higher than that, so they're. But this is what they are sort of rated for for yeah. use. And and again, this has not been used uh, in reality for a steamship authority ferry. No. Although there has been an evacuation in recent years uh, from a steamship authority ferry. You'll remember the Iano went up on the Hyannisport jetty. Uh, 15 people injured. They had to airlift some of those injured people off, and then some other people were able to get off on their own. We're still waiting for the Coast Guard report on uh, what exactly happened there. The Steamship right. Authority says uh, Captain mistook a, a pole and the end of the jetty for the channel markers, basically, and went the wrong way. Some people are wondering how that's possible, but we'll find out maybe when the uh, Coast Guard issues their report. Um, Moving on here, we, we've been following the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe and their efforts to uh, preserve land that was taken into trust for them by the federal government and, and build a billion-dollar casino project in uh, Taunton. Um, this has been a project that's faced opposition from neighbors in Taunton. It's faced opposition from uh, legislators in other states, most prominently Rhode Island. And the U.S. House of Representatives Subcommittee for Indigenous Peoples of the United States took up this bill um, yesterday. Uh, it was introduced, uh, a bill yesterday that was introduced by uh, Representative William Keating here from uh, Massachusetts, uh, actually from Bourne. Um, and this bill was meant to basically secure the tribe's land and trust Again, it had been challenged by these neighbors in Taunton. They had won in federal court, and, and basically by winning, they had uh, said that the tribe wasn't uh, uh, able to take this land into trust or have this land taken into trust for them. Um, and this all goes back to a Supreme Court decision in 2009, and they've been talking about quote-unquote, fixing that decision because that decision found that if a tribe uh, wasn't under federal jurisdiction as of 1934, which was when the Indian Reorganization Act was passed, then it wasn't basically allowed to have land taken into trust or wasn't, uh, you know, didn't have the uh, proof that it needed to have that qualify for that trust status. So they've been talking about a fix for that for a while. That was something the tribe always knew it was facing. And uh, part of this hearing was talking about that carciary fix, as they call it, but this separate legislation that Keating has proposed would just straight out uh, secure the land for the tribe. So they had this hearing. Interestingly enough, the governor of Rhode Island's uh, basically attorney uh, went down and testified. So that tells you how much how much of a big deal it is for Rhode Island, who thinks that this casino uh, will be competition for casinos in Rhode Island, gambling interests in Rhode Island, and therefore they have a pretty uh, significant stake in what happens here. They're against it. They don't want the, the tribe to be able to move forward with this casino because they see it as competition. 
Keating asked, uh, you know, this uh, uh, attorney, the, the counsel for the governor of Rhode Island, uh, to kind of explain why they think that the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe shouldn't uh, have the ability to develop a casino or have their land in trust. Essentially, he was looking, and the tribe has always looked looked to separate the two. They've looked to say, listen, the casino is one thing. But our status as a sovereign nation is at stake here, and and that's a big deal on its own. Um, so you really need to separate the two out, is what Keating uh, is is saying, and the tribe is saying. Uh, Keating's quote: "Nothing in this legislation grants the tribe special permissions or rights uh, in respect to a casino. Merely guarantees that the tribe is treated equally alongside other recognized tribes." Obviously, the casino question is really a state issue. The state has uh, laws that are kind of dictating who gets a casino and where. So this is an ongoing uh, debate. The tribe is in uh, some pretty serious financial trouble. They've been getting loans from Genting Malaysia, which is the developer that's been backing the tribe. Um, and those loans have more or less stopped, although Genting uh, is uh, supposedly still helping out with the lobbying and pushing for this legislation, which obviously if they get this legislation passed and the tribe is able to secure its land into trust, they can then move forward with the casino and therefore their developer would be happy and be able to recoup uh, obviously their investment. Um, but the tribe has been laying off people. They've been dealing with this. They're basically 400 something million dollars, $450 million, I think at last count uh, in debt to the to the uh, Genting Malaysia. Although it really depends on if the casino is built, they pay that back. If not, then it's kind of a, a, a wash for them at least. Uh, although a big deal for the community here on the Cape and that's why we're interested in covering it. A lot there, you can check out Tanner Stennings reporting on that. And then uh, moving on to a story in today's paper and and uh, uh, something that was on our opinion pages today, uh, the Red Cross uh, is set to honor tomorrow Yarmouth Police Sergeant Sean Gannon, who everybody uh, will remember was shot and killed April 12th of last year uh, while serving, helping to serve a, uh, an arrest warrant in Marston's Mills. Um, this is an annual event. It's the American Red Cross Heroes Breakfast. Have you ever been to it, Doug? Yeah, it's it's, have, it's yeah. quite a dramatic event. There's all these stories. Stories. Um, obviously, Gannon's story is, is something that's gripped the community over the last year. But when you read through and if you go to the Red Cross's website, uh, the uh, Cape Islands and Southeast Massachusetts uh, Red Cross's website, uh, you can read through some of these stories. And it's pretty amazing. Uh, the people who they're honoring as heroes, what some of them have done. There was a rescue swimmer from Mas from Mashpee who was off the coast of Maine who saved four fishermen out of a life raft for the Coast Guard being, you know, a hero is kind of the job. Um, but then there were other people. There were uh, two guys who uh, were in South Yarmouth and their co-worker, uh, hard to forget this one, had his leg uh, basically caught in a wood chipper and lost his leg, but might have lost his life if they hadn't acted quickly, you know, tied off a tourniquet and raised it uh, at the, to the right level so that they could kind of stem the flow of, of blood. Um, and he's, he's said that he really has them to thank for his life. So those two gentlemen will be honored. A lot of people uh, being honored at this. Uh, Jeff Spillane, our reporter, talked to Denise Morency Gannon about uh, the honor for her son, which is the Community uh, Impact Hero Award that, that the family will be accepting uh, in his honor posthumously. Um, uh, and, and she basically said, you know, he wouldn't, he would likely be surprised to be honored in this way. He kind of just considered himself an ordinary guy. And after he died, I think a lot of people looked at the amount of volunteer work and things that he did in the community. And this makes sense. But he was also somebody who was uh, pretty, pretty darn humble uh, from all the sounds of it. Uh, we also have in today's paper, again, back on the opinion uh, pages, uh, uh, Dara Gannon, uh, who is Sean Gannon's wife. 
uh, wrote up a, a piece essentially thanking the community. Uh, Derek Gannon has been very, uh, you know, uh, quiet uh, during this time, and you can only imagine uh, what she's been going through, but she's, she's just been somebody who hasn't stepped, you know, sometimes you have people who will, you know, step forward into the spotlight in cases like this, and she's stayed uh, very quiet in the background, but she took this uh, opportunity to really thank the community. Um, it's a really uh, moving piece and, and uh, would suggest, you know, everybody take a look at it, but essentially she was saying, you know, if you want to remember uh, her husband, find a quiet way to show someone you care, like do something for somebody, you know, pay the, the toll for the person behind you. Um, and, and she really w reached out and thanked the community and, and talked about how she was proud to be from Cape Cod when she saw the amount of support uh, that was there for her and for other people, including the police department and others uh, in the uh, aftermath of her husband's death. So definitely worth the read. Um, Doug, you've been covering uh, extensively uh, the great white shark population off our coast, uh, and you had a number of stories within the last week, um, uh, the most recent being in today's paper. Why don't you give us an update? There was some, some real movement at the state level, and then there's been some movement locally on, on uh, trying to protect people from great white sharks off our coast. So the, the state has, it's not as though the state hasn't contributed money before. They've they certainly pay the salaries for the researchers who have been studying sharks for uh, a number of years, including uh, during a five-year uh, program uh, in which they were, they've been tagging, and it's a it's a population study basically that people are waiting to hear. Well, how many sharks do we actually have? Trying to get know? some baseline data there to work with. It, get a population estimate, which are hard to do for great whites, but in the in our case, we have you know, uh, I don't want to say a captive population, but we have a population that's attracted here to a very discrete area, and, and it means that it makes it a little bit easier to study. So, so um, but a lot of the fundraising has gone on, you know, in the private sector, you might say, you know, with the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy raising money to pay for, uh, you know, spotter pilots, for tags for things like that and They've it's been not providing the boat for and the, the research, boat yeah. and it, it's not an insignificant amount of money it's a lot of money um so the, but when it comes to the towns they've been saying look we we don't have the money to do everything that is going to be needed in order to like uh educate protect maybe potentially uh protect the public maybe maybe potentially uh detect sharks and uh, and create shark warning systems. You know, that kind of stuff um, requires testing. It requires technology that's not inexpensive. It's, it's very expensive. So uh, they've been asking for help, and um, primarily um, uh, Senator C Julian Sear and uh, Representative Sarah Peake have been advocating for help from the state. Um, and, uh, you know, the state uh, came through uh, this week with funding. Um, that of $383,000 for, for a kind of laundry list of uh, things that the uh, uh, town submitted to the state uh, a few weeks ago, well, actually it was in February, I believe, uh, at a meeting um, with uh, Lieutenant Governor Polito uh, staff and uh, some Charlie Baker staff and administration officials uh, in, in Boston. Um, and. This is a list of kind of what you would think would be like the, the basics, but it's still expensive. Emergency call boxes, satellite phones, trauma uh, kits, first aid uh, equipment, uh, stretchers, ATVs. It's kind of the things 
that make response, you know, happen in a in a, a an expedited fashion because you know you don't have a lot of time if you've been bitten by a, a great white. So, um, and and we noted that uh, I mean, this, these were things that may have been talked about before, but really last summer it it came to the fore that some of this these things were a problem. Communication, in particular, they realized you know not that it shouldn't have been obvious before, but that these beaches are fairly isolated out in the seashore, especially, um, and some of the uh, communication in in getting you got to get the person out of the water off the beach and get up to a place where your cell phone's working. So some of this is meant to address some of that communication issue right away, right? Right, because the tall uh, dunes or coastal banks along the outer cape, uh, typically from like more like from Wellfleet on up, uh, you see a lot of those communication problems. Um, and uh, the, 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 like for instance, Open Cape just recently unveiled like a, a plan to connect 10 uh, beaches uh, for a $1.5 million. It's something that towns and the Cape Cod National Seashore are still, you know, talking about, but but it's it's going to solve another problem. It links fiber optic uh, cable to the beaches and provides not only like a communications platform, but also a platform for some of the technologies that, um, you know, they're hoping to em employ at some point in time for shock detection, for instance, it's you know, like the clever buoy technology that we've been talking about, and you wrote a, a story about that as well earlier. Right. Week. So a private group decided that uh, they would like to, you know, uh, help out and and uh, create a sort of a pilot program of their own and find a beach where the the t beach officials or town officials or or even the Cape Cod National Seashore would be willing to run a pilot project. Um, they're, they're hoping to raise uh, $200,000. They have a GoFundMe site. Uh, they basically have, uh, as of last week, they had about $40,000 raised, but they're hoping to reach a sort of uh, uh, critical mass. And then they, 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 they believe there may be some larger donors who could sort of finish the deal or get close, you know. Um, they're hoping to get Two buoys. It's it's not a purchase deal. It's it's leased. That gives you an idea of how expensive it yeah, is. Um, but part of the expense is that the personnel from uh, Clever Buoy or Smart Marine Systems is the actual company name would come out here and and live for like uh, three or four months uh, through the summer in order to just sort of tailor the system and get it. You know, it's an algorithm based system, so uses sonar. And, uh, and and get it so that it works here well. That's the basic idea, you know. And um, so that's certainly, um, you know, uh, one uh, step towards uh, detection. And town officials have been sort of mum on whether they would allow that on their beaches or not. Uh, Wellfleet uh, Town Administrator Dan Hort says he, he's still concerned about liability issues. Uh, there's, uh, he has an opinion from town council that says basically, you know, if you do anything, it opens you up to more liability. There, there's, there's some debate about that, you know, um, uh, but he basically doesn't see it happening in town waters. Uh, the uh, Cape Cod National Seashore Superintendent Brian Carlstrom was 
you know, open to the idea of, uh, it, of this innovative technology, but he said, like, permitting is going to be a big hurdle for, the, for it. You know, there are a lot of permits to put a buoy in the water, and it's not just a buoy. There's transducers on the bottom, and, uh, and there's some debate about whether it would survive in a really um, – dynamic environment with a lot of sand moving around a lot of wave action well and that's that's another thing is is testing something like this uh here it, you know it maybe it works somewhere else conditions are different in different places you have to test it you have to get it kind of fine-tuned to an area there are those questions about liability questions about permitting obviously the the counter to that by a lot of people is you got to do something because we had a fatal shark attack last year we had another attack last year and it's going to start to potentially impact tourism if it's not already. Um, and and you, just from a public safety standpoint, you know, doing nothing, doing something is better than doing nothing. It sounds like this three hundred eighty-three thousand dollars. Some of it is kind of uh, on the response side. Um, some of it might go to you know, well, again, the buoys thing might go to kind of more of the prevention side. You you're able to get an alert from that buoy if if it, you put in a system, and it would be able to tell people. You, you know, could you string that all on the coast? Likely not. So you'd probably have to, you know, select certain spots. Um, but there are people who have to deal with this. Surf schools uh, came up and, and you have a story in today's paper about some of the things that have been going on when it comes to surf schools. These are people who are, are you know, have businesses where they take people out in the water to learn to surf. That's happening on town and seashore beaches. Uh, what's the latest on that front? Well, well so um, back in November, Orleans decided that they were not going to allow surf schools there. Now, that, that's at Nasa Beach, which is one of the largest beaches um, uh, along the Outer Cape. Um, and um, I, their reasoning was that there was, well, what they called it, uh, maybe it's a euphemism, they called it, I believe, dangerous marine life. They didn't really say sharks, which was kind of unusual. But I guess a, a, seals have been known to bite you, but it's rare that you hear about it. And it's even rarer. Yeah, usually it's because they're being fed. For We're the talking seals. about sharks, but for sharks, um, uh, you know, they they do have, they you know they do have buoys uh, there that are capable of picking up the signals from uh, uh, tag sharks, and just as they do up the coast for most of the coastline. Uh, there, there are buoys there set up to, to hear tag sharks, and NASA does get a lot of, you know, they're one of the highest um, uh, in terms of the numbers of sharks detected and in terms of the numbers of hits on the buoys, which means that there's a lot of sharks there that are, that are just sort of staying there for an extended period of time, you know. Um, and so, you know, yes, there are sharks there. They decided, okay, maybe it's just not, uh, good policy for the town to encourage surf schools, so they decided to ban it back in November. But uh, further up the coast, in uh, uh, Wellfleet and in um, in the in the Cape Cod uh, National Seashore, where where a lot of the surf school activity takes place, and it's a very popular activity. Um, Wellfleet decided recently that the selectmen decided that they were going to continue the practice of permitting the surf schools, and so did the seashore, and uh, and and basically. Um, uh, in Wellfleet anyways, uh, Seashore basically said, well, it's kind of business as usual. And, um, but in Wellfleet, they were thinking, well, okay, maybe we should require either more insurance from the, uh, uh, the surf schools right now. I believe they're required to have a million dollars in liability and they were 
discussing maybe, you know, increasing that. And, you know, one of the surf schools said that they were going to add protection. So they're adding things like uh, shock shield to the boards and shock shield is, uh, I believe now it's called Ocean, Ocean Guardian, is a, an electronic device that sends out a signal that the uh, shocks find irritating. They have an electric uh, detection system in their, in their snouts and, and it just messes with that. And so there's been some scientific study that says it's, it's effective at deterring great whites. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and so they're going to add that. They're going to have trauma kits on the shore with the schools. They're, they're, they're um, going to have their instructors are going to be uh, schooled in the stop the bleed training, which has been going on through the winter. Um, and, uh, and, you know, so they're taking steps. Yeah. You, know. you can see these different levels. That's kind of at the, uh, you know, business, but also personal protection level where it's something on the actual surfboard or on the body that that's supposed to either deter the, the sharks or, or make them not want to bite you obviously. And then there's the kind of systemic, uh, sort of protection with the clever buoy. And then there's the response, uh, to an attack. If it were to happen through communication and stop the bleed and things of that nature. Um, but it, it does sound like, again, there, there is some movement. I think, again, there's some people out there who were hoping for, you know, to be faster. Um, but the state money coming in, uh, some of these towns kind of making some of these decisions in terms of what's going to be allowed and not allowed. Um, and then just some some organization among the towns in terms of dealing with the state money. They've got to figure out how it gets distributed among the towns as well. Uh, I think they probably have that already figured out. There'll be a memorandum of understanding and it'll get distributed. And what uh, Senator Sierra and Representative Peake were emphasizing is this isn't the, the last of the involvement of the state. They're basically looking at, you know, um, how to fund other other projects that are needed as they come along. And so they looked at it more as the beginning of the conversation. I mean, this, the, the Cape does contribute a lot of uh, tourist tax dollars, tax dollars to the yeah. state. It's a big so. deal for the state. And, and again, you can see them maybe moving up the scale from smaller ticket items as important as they are to the larger ticket items, be it a buoy protection system or, or something more or robust. So, in terms so the buoy is going to be a detection system because it doesn't have the capacity to doesn't zap protect. the sharks. Yes, right. it doesn't, I, sorry, my right. mistake. But detection... Right could lead to some prevention uh, of, a, of a shark attack. So, and there are other technologies out there that haven't been explored that do things like emit that electronic signal mm -hmm. that may have the potential to also deter the sharks from an area versus from a person or surfboard. It's just an expansion of that personal uh, deterrent or protection system. You know, there's a lot of technologies out there, not a lot of science applied to them, but other areas that are quote unquote shock hotspots have a mechanism to test these uh, these technologies. And uh, you know, at the Cape needs something like that. And this yet. private uh, um, project to privately fund uh, a test of this particular system, um, which has been deployed elsewhere in the world and in California. Um, probably is a, you know, a good start to see how you can test, you know. I mean, that's the problem is how do you set up 
a valid scientific test in a dynamic ocean environment. In the wild. Yep. Yeah. Well, plenty more to, to uh, read about in, in your multiple stories recently. CapeCatTimes.com slash sharks has uh, pretty much all of Doug's stories going back a bit. Um, uh, and and some, of the, some of the other kind of detection technologies being drones and that nature, you've explored in previous stories quite a bit. So there's a lot there. Uh, thanks, and there'll be a lot coming forward. Certainly, as the as we get closer to the summer season, there's going to be a lot to uh, talk about and report on. So, thanks for your reporting on that, Doug. Um, another, uh, I guess, predator, if you will, uh, question uh, is coming up tonight. Uh, the State Division of Fisheries and Wildlife is going to hold a public listening session on the coyote population, coyote population management, coyote hunting, and coyote hunting contests. It's been a big deal recently. Uh, Powderhorn, uh, which is a, a hunting shop located down the street from us here, has been holding a, a coyote hunting contest recently, and it's gotten a lot of uh, response from a lot of people out there. Um, that hearing is tonight from 6 uh, to 8 p.m. at the uh, Cape Cod Community College. Um, we'll be covering it, and we'll have some more on that in tomorrow or Saturday's paper, so you can look forward to that. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, tell your friends, share the link. Thanks for being here, Doug. Really appreciate it, as always. Uh, feel free to reach out to Doug or any of the other reporters here with any story tips or ideas. All our emails are at capecodtimes.com. Um, we're where news here on Cape Cod starts. Until next week, good morning and good luck.